0: Welcome to Brand New Taste, a podcast for brands in the food and beverage industry, focusing on new innovation and how understanding taste is vital to commercial success. Your hosts are Brant Mabry and Micah Carhill, co-founders of the leading development agency, Tastehead.
1: Hello, Micah. Hi, Brent. How are you? Not bad, not bad. Back good. for another episode. Yeah, it's becoming a bit of a habit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Good good habit, I hope. Yeah, yeah. One of my better habits. <laughs> um, yeah. But, I mean, you're seeming rather chipper today.
1: Well, I mean, it could have something to do with the fact that I'm off to California at the weekend for a few weeks. Lucky so, you. So, I know, hard to, to 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 not be sort of chipper and excited with that. Half half holiday, half, half work, oh, some you- interesting projects that... Looking forward to sharing the results of, maybe on this podcast. When, yeah, when in we get the future. Back. Yeah. Lots of trends over in California. Surprising different to here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, be interested to see what's going on and, and, and bring some details back. Speaking of trends. As you like to. Today's episode is going to be covering an ever-growing trend. And so, first of all, a question for you. How's your gut health these days? What sort of food are you, are you eating? What did you have for dinner last night? Well, so dinner last night was an old classic,
2: cauliflower cheese mm. with um, some sausages from one of my favoured butchers. A um, bit of English mustard on the side. you got to shout out the butcher, surely. Swaledale nice. on this occasion. Nice. Not, not my only sauce, but no. they're very good. So yeah, that was, that was very good. Um, Glass of wine? Yeah, a, a nice bottle of wine, obviously, as as you know. I have...
1: Apologies for suggesting it would be a glass. No,
2: <laughs> so yeah, cracked open a lovely uh, Italian, mm. um, a, a Barolo, uh, as you know, the, from the Nebbiolo grape. Yeah, very tasty. Yeah, but what tar- about Tar and
1: Tar and Roses?
2: Tar and, and Roses, the classic. Yeah, flavors, very interesting. one. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, what about yours? How's your gut health?
1: Well, I mean, before I get onto mine, uh, you, you, it seems like you can. In my experience, basically, sort of eat. You eat well and oh. balanced, but you don't really take too much thought if you're going to indulge with a sort of midweek glass of wine or a slightly richer dinner. And so do you take sort of probiotics and prebiotics and lots of supplements to, to support that? What, what do you think? <laughs> I've not seen you take it. I'm, <laughs> I'm,
2: not, I'm not a pill merchant. I, d- I do uh, eat well, like you say, a balanced diet, cook everything Pretty much everything myself, mm. unless I'm going out somewhere. Uh, fine, but no, I mean I'd, I've never felt the need for it to be honest. Um, but I think it might be slightly different for
1: you. It is sadly for me. Yeah, as you know, my gut health is a constant sort of battle. Um, I had my microbiome tested a few years ago, and it confirmed my suspicions that it wasn't good. <laughs> and so, since around 2006, when it's actually when I broke my back in a snowboarding accident. Yeah. I had to have a couple of operations and one thing and another had been sort of really healthy and able to eat whatever I wanted by that point. And then I just started to see my health deteriorate and it was my gut health first. And then it had a real sort of knock on effects to, 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 other things. And I really had to look at my own health and see what I could do to get back on track. And a really big thing for me was all around my diet and and, and my gut health. So I'm pretty good now. I can sort of indulge every now and again, but have to to keep an eye on it. I, I take probiotics, prebiotics, make sure I get lots of fiber, things like that. Otherwise, I'm only ever a, a cheap sausage roll away from sort of having some guts related issues. But, but why would you be eating a cheap sausage well, no, I roll? Wouldn't, I would, unless no. you know the, the sort of the. Unless Matt step. has offered you one. <laughs> Matt at work, yeah. Oh, he, he loves a, a pasty or a sausage roll. He's he's he a, does a big fan, yeah. big big fan, yeah. But. This story of mine, it's all too familiar and common now. It is. Um, yeah. And I think gut health is a trend that whenever I'm asked, what, what trends do I sort of see on the horizon? Which ones are going to continue? Which ones are going to fade away? The one I always pick first is not only is going to continue, but I think is going to grow sort of exponentially is around gut health. Part of the reason being... People have been aware of the, the, the kind of connection with your gut and, and health for like thousands of years, mm. but it's only in recent years, literally in the last five or ten years, that you're starting to see actual science that's suggesting why it's so important and proving it. Um, for instance, yeah. some, some of the um, diseases that are being linked nowadays, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease, colorectal cancer, obesity, Type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, diseases of the liver. And I'll stop there, but the, there's more and more diseases and health related issues that are showing links to gut health. Now, I think it's important we caveat this episode by saying we're not doctors, we're not medical men. We're, no. we're, we're going to try and not kind of overstep our, our, our boundaries. What we're going to go through, we hopefully have, have got our sources cited. We'll put those in the description of the episode so when we refer to studies and so on people can go and do their own research but i we thought it would be good to just share our views and insights on 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 the world of gut health um i think we break it down this episode into a structure where we'll have a very short introduction to gut health for those who aren't too familiar with the details then we'll move into why it's important and, and so relevant Then we'll move on to what the current innovations are and any ideas that we have. And then we'll finish with looking at what the future trends are and where we think things are heading.
2: Sounds like a good plan.
1: Yeah. So, Micah, how do we define the gut and gut health? What what are we talking about exactly?
2: So, in this case, when we're talking about the gut, we're talking about the stomach, small intestine, and the large intestine. And what we're looking at is what most affects its health. Now, there are a number of things that will affect your gut's health, but the one we're focusing on, the most important, is the microbiome. And and to sort of explain what that is, I'm going to come come with an analogy for you. Think of your microbiome as your garden. And what we need to do is make sure that the soil that the plants grow in is healthy, containing plenty plenty of nutrients. And in this case, in this analogy, the soil is your intestines and the plants are your microbes. Now, to stop weeds or poisonous plants taking over, in this analogy we're talking about toxic or disease microbes,
1: we need to cultivate the widest variety of plants and seeds possible. Hmm. And so with these these microbes, they come in several different groups and families. not going to mention them all. I'm not even sure how accurately I'd be able to pronounce half of them. The two main ones that make up about 90% of a healthy gut, the two main families... A bacteria Bacteriodetes and Firmicutes. The remaining 10% are made up of several other different groups and families. The most important one is Proteobacteria. Now, this is the family that is closest um, linked or related to inflammation and disease. And when I had my gut uh, microbiome tested years ago, uh, I can't remember if it was Ubiome or the American Gut Research, yeah. so there was a couple of businesses offering that um, as a service. Um, my proteobacteria was like a third instead of 10%. Yeah. And so it showed that I had a, a gut bacteria that was more sort of linked to, to disease. And I think people who, sh- who struggle with, with gut health, et cetera, it's often the proteobacteria that, that that is higher than it needs to be.
2: Yeah. And I, I had mine done. I don't know if it was a bit after a similar time to you. Mm. Again, I can't remember who did it, but I, I think I showed you the results because you've been sort of more knowledge about, about this, with with all the the, the issues yeah. you've had, I remember
1: being quite envious. Quite yeah, you, so
2: I showed you the the, <laughs> the, the, the the picture of them, and I said, "What's this mean?" And you said, "Oh, no, you're fine, you're fine, <laughs> mate." So, um, so that again, that I mean, it's only a sample of two, but we, you know, that showed that why I probably you know have a, a, a better gut health, and I don't have any problems whereas, whereas you do because mm-hmm. of, of the situation you were in.
1: Yeah, and so in terms about you know. Sort of looking after that that microbiome. The two words that people are now mostly familiar with are probiotics and prebiotics. So let's let's break that down. So probiotics—they're essentially the microbe that we ingest through um, foods or, in this case, nowadays products. Um, the two main species of probiotics that you'll read or hear about lactobacilli and bifidobacteria and so these are the groups that are feeding and and, and replacing sorry the the sort of important healthy microbes in in your gut. Now the prebiotics they're not actually microbes. I know there's a bit of confusion around this and people often get confused between probiotics, prebiotics. Prebiotics are basically prebiotic fibres these are the fibres that feed the probiotic bacteria, um, supports a sort of a healthy uh, microbiome. And I think you've got um, something that helps you remember the difference between prebiotic yeah, and we, probiotic.
2: We, we obviously we discussed this, and I said, I can never remember. And you say, how can you, can you not remember? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's different for different people, but it's, it's actually Lulu at work who, who told me this. I, so we were discussing the same thing. She said, remember the, the difference is prebiotics feed your guts, <laughs> And you just laughed in my face. Like I <laughs> as idiot. I am now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but since then, it was only a few weeks ago. Since then, I remember. So hopefully for some of our listeners, that will help them as well. Yeah,
1: however it works.
2: Now, we won't go into too much detail here because we've got so much more to talk about, but there's some good things to sort of check out. And one sort of person I've read a lot, and as have you, um, is uh, Tim Spector a professor of uh, genetic epidemiology at King's College London. He's written a lot about this. He's uh, part of the British Gut Project, the Zoe app. Um, He did the largest microbiome project in the UK. Um, So read any of his
1: stuff. It's great. I I think in the last three years, a lot more people are aware of him because of his work on the Zoe app. And it's been on the news and online in terms of updating COVID and so on. But yeah, we were reading his books sort of... um, Quite a few years before yeah. that, all, all about gut health. And, and yeah, absolutely. Um, another resource that I'd like to sort of direct people to, to go and check out, it's actually a client of ours, um, The Gut Stuff. So they uh, came to us a few years ago. They um, Alana and Lisa had uh, created this this website, The Gut Stuff, Uh, where it was all about sharing information and and support around sort of gut health, et cetera. And they wanted to launch their first range of um, snack bars that would be sort of high in prebiotic fibers and, you know, would support sort of gut health. And their website is brilliant. I think they do a great job of helping to put the science into an easy to digest format, sort of partly what, or similar to what we're (laughs) going to try and do in this episode as well. But for instance, one of the analogies that they've got is if your gut is the band, your stomach, liver, pancreas, and gallbladder are accessory organs. Think of them as groupies to the band. So, you know, they're a really good resource of just sort of putting it into layman's terms and and helping people retain um, information. Okay, so moving on now to why gut health is so important and so relevant today.
2: Yeah, I mean, let's first look back a bit and, and just see, you know, are we sort of ingesting and eating the same sort of thing as our ancestors? I mean, what, what we know from sort of data is that 15,000 years ago, our ancestors actually ingested around 150 ingredients per week. Mm. Now, how many do you think is the average amount that people ingest per week now?
1: 20, because it's written down here in front of me.
2: Brilliant. (laughs) If you hadn't had it written down in front of you, what would you have
1: said? I'd I'd have guessed a lot higher. I'd have said 50, 60, 70. I mean, 20, that's low. That's That's really really low. low. I
2: mean, obviously that's not everyone. And if you make a a lot of your own food and use a lot of spices and a lot of herbs and a lot of other ingredients, then it's not that. But that just shows how, how much or how much of the population have a very limited diet. And that will go towards having a, a not very healthy gut.
1: And, and I believe that has led us to having around a tenth of the um, the variety of species of probiotic bacteria in our gut to our ancestors, you know, when, when they look yeah. at, you, you can really see it basically. I think I, I seem to remember reading that our ancestors had around 10,000 different strains, whereas we have close to a really? thousand on average now.
2: Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really important is because a lot of people do eat processed foods because... that's what a lot of supermarket food is, Um, a lot of those, the base of those is really largely four ingredients, which is corn, soy, wheat, and meat-based. And these are, you know, just shows that the the sort of lack of variety that we're seeing in, in, in these sorts of food and drink products.
0: You're listening to Brand New Taste. Your hosts are Micah Carhill, food scientist, product developer and taste expert, who has held the position of Head of Taste at Premium Brands Green and Blacks and Causton Press. And Brant Maybury, development chef, taste specialist and managing director of Tastehead, leading innovation projects for brands of all sizes
1: there was a survey by Euromonitor International in 2020 that showed about one quarter of consumers globally are suffering from issues related to gut health, with half of the reported cases are claiming to affect the consumer's health in general. So yeah. it sort of shows um, the impact that it's it's having is is quite clear.
2: A big reason for that, we think, is that only about 9% of adults all around the world are getting the adequate amount of fiber daily. And as, as you remember, we've been talking about the fiber is so important as, as a prebiotic to feed those microbes. Um, in the UK, for instance, the, the average of fiber per day is 20 grams. And so it's even less in the US, for instance, about 15 to 20. Recommended, 30 grams. So that's going to make a lot of difference To the health of your gut.
1: Yeah. And some people have certainly eaten a lot less than than 20 grams. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Are we seeing, I mean, what would be interesting to know is, you know, are we seeing fiber in different categories now?
1: Yeah. One of the uh, categories we've had a few projects on in the last few years has been in the baby food category. And that's really interesting, starting to see how things like fiber and gut health are starting to expand into those categories. It was interesting because when we had, um, our first baby food project, um, Gemma, my wife, was pregnant. And so yep. we had our little Oscar on the way. And so it sort of had a bit more um, relevance for me. And then in the last couple of years, we've had a couple of others as well, which has been interesting alongside the experience of actually feeding a baby and a toddler and, and, and seeing some of the challenges that we had with with, with Oscar because he, um, he had some sort of... Um, should we say digestive issues in, in, in the first few sort of weeks and months of, of his life? And I, I looked into it quite a lot. And what was interesting, there's a number of studies. I'll, I'll put some links in the description where they've actually tested inulin powder, so essentially, you know, a fiber supplement mm. in newborns and really young toddlers. And it's had almost nothing but positive effects and impacts in terms of their health and their gut health fairly high doses, to be honest, or mm. certainly what would seem high for, for for such young children, obviously, the only negative impacts are sort of you know the windy <laughs> <a> bit windy, <laughs> windy. <laughs> um, but yeah it's definitely something that is starting to be seen in the baby food category, and it 's so important because the data is showing that your microbiome you 're born with a lot of it, but the first one to three years is where you can actually change it and for the better or for the worse, obviously. And so it's a very key part of life that by the time um, three years old, it then becomes very difficult to make drastic changes yeah. in a short space of time.
2: This is why I think it's really important if, you, if you've got kids in those early years is to feed them this wide range of food and and, and like I say, include some fiber. And as you know, my son, unfortunately, he doesn't eat. Um, so he, he's on a formula. Um, now, we the formula we had didn't have any fiber. We added some fiber to it, but, he, you know, his gut was not great. Then we were told, well, actually, you can get one with fiber added. Mm. And since he had that, almost like overnight, just so much better. Yeah. It just shows the importance of ha- having some fiber in your diet.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're we're seeing added fiber in almost every category, to be fair. We've called out baby food there, but we're seeing it in yeah. functional drinks, in baking, in ready meals, in confectionery even. And there's one ingredient in particular that just keeps coming up again and again in our development kitchen, and that is chicory root fiber syrup. We can't um, get enough of it. I oh, know, we. we can't. Well, we actually couldn't. The well, last no. year, <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, global shortages <laughs> because so many brands are now switching over from what they were using previously such as oligosaccharide, which well it's, done it's it, yeah thank you yeah. i've said that one a few times so i can roll <laughs> that one out quite quite easily um much cheaper but people don't like seeing isomaltooligosaccharide on on the back of ingredients and um you know it is in terms of how it's produced it is um potentially more processed than what's processed from from chicory so you see it in so many ingredients and and the reason it's in there obviously it does have um a high amount of fiber I think it varies from about 60 to 70% depending on the source. Yeah. But the other reason it's so popular is it's fairly neutral in both color. It's fairly clear, it has a slightly golden hue to it, mostly clear. It has a low amount of sweetness, a little bit of sweetness, but the actual sugar content is Less than 10%. And it can be really good for replacing syrups where they would be used not just for sweetening, but also for their sort of technical properties, whether it's the texture it gives to cakes or the fact that it dissolves so easily into cold beverages, etc. Um, so yeah, it's 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 one of the most important ingredients that we have in our kitchen for sure. Yeah. So we, we know then that fiber is incredibly beneficial for your gut microbiome. It supports it, but there's also things that you consume and people often do that can disrupt your microbiome like you alluded to earlier the amount of processed foods that we have um can have an impact and artificial additives as well one of the ones that we'll just sort of call out because there's some data on it now artificial sweeteners
2: yeah exactly so there was a study uh, back in 2008 that it was a study around diet drinks in uh, rats and what they found the the researchers is that they fed uh, them su- uh, sucralose. Now, sucralose is one of the main uh, artificial sweeteners that's used in a lot of products, both drinks and food. And it's got a not sucralose, sounds a bit like sugar, but the actual uh, name for it is 1,6 dichloro, 1,6 six di dioxy beta D furanosyl 4 chloro, 4 dioxy alpha D galactopyranoside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Almost got that through through that with but it just this is a you know, it's, a, it's a big molecule, and what they found is they fed the rats the sort of the equivalent of a recommended human dose for around twelve weeks, and they had a significant reduction in their total microbe count, so what you're doing is getting the opposite of something like fiber, and not only did they find that that Up to three months afterwards, this was still the case. So it had an effect that carried on for a while. I think you've also got um, a study that you remember reading a while back. I
1: I, I remember reading a similar study and it it sort of broke it down for me and sort of it really made it quite profound in that there was three groups of mice or rats that were in the test. And they're all fed the same food, diet, but what changed was what they drank. Uh, First group essentially drank water. Second group drank um, sugar water, so like a a kind of a a classic fizzy drink, shall we say. And then the third group drank uh, water with an artificial sweetener, so like a diet soda. Mm. And what they found is the group that drank water, their weight maintained, stayed the same. Second group that drank sugar water put on weight. Unsurprising. But the third group that drank the sweetened water... Without any sugar in, they put on more weight than any of the other two groups. So they put on more weight than the group that drank the sugar water. That's interesting. And the reason being that it's the how much that these artificial sweeteners and other additives, if consumed regularly, I imagine they do have the power to impact your microbiome to the point where it starts to impact your metabolism. And so, talking about things that disrupt your microbiome and and the issues that can arise from that, allergies is actually um, a really interesting area that some evidence and science is starting to show um, how linked to your gut health and microbiome that is. Yeah,
2: no, it's an interesting one. I mean, first and foremost, I think what we need to understand is allergies, food intolerance. These are relatively new discoveries. Yeah, the first medical mention of an allergy, which was eggs and cow's milk, was in 1912. You know what happened in 1912? Titanic sank. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's sort of relatively recent history. And the, and the first food allergy case to appear in a modern medical journal, so something that's more than just just a medical mention, it's in 1969, the, the year man landed on the moon. So these are all sort of relatively new. But now we, we sort of see it quite a lot. And, and you go to a restaurant, they always say, have you got any allergies and tolerances? And now it's just part and parcel of, yeah. of, of what we see. But what's interesting to both of us, I think, is that there is evidence to show that if you expose babies, toddlers, really early to a number of allergens, it will mean they're less likely to become allergic uh, later, later on in their life. And so having this diverse microbiome as a newborn appears to help. So you know, having breast milk um, from your mother with, who's got a healthy diet herself, mm-hmm. uh, late weaning, uh, less household cleanliness, you know, getting a few of those bugs, germs into your gut, having pets, yeah. you know, these are all really good for the gut
1: health. Yeah, and the, the NHS um, recommendations now are to introduce allergies as early as possible with babies and toddlers. We've um, done a couple of the focus groups recently for baby food projects and about sort of a third to half of the mums there are aware of, the, of this advice now, whereas five or ten years ago, I think it was the other way. It yeah. was avoid them and that that can be dangerous yeah. just as you've identified there. Something else that's showing links now to uh, your uh, gut microbiome is how your foods are prepared. And the results are quite interesting because there's, well, there's a study here that I found it quite surprising. I was looking at, at pasta. So it was a study on 500 adults. It was posted in uh, Diabetes Therapy. It's carried out by Viome Research Institute. And it looked at um, how the body reacted to pasta that was cooked fresh and eaten straight away versus pasta that was cooked fresh, cooled down, eaten when it was cold, but also cooled down and reheated. And what you find with the freshly cooked pasta is the carbohydrates are very starchy at this point, so it sort of spikes your insulin response to deal with the spike in, in blood sugars and you know can have some negative impacts on your health for that reaction. This is what's all linked to diabetes, etc. Yeah. But what was really interesting is once the pasta's cooled, those starchy carbohydrates start to turn into a form of resistant starch. So resistant starch tends to act more similarly to dietary fibres, like the prebiotic fibres yeah. that we were we were discussing. And so they pass through the small intestine and, and make their way into the larger intestine. And so just in terms of the temperature, which allowing the pasta to cool made it far more beneficial for, for your gut microbiome and your sort of insulin response but what was really interesting was even reheating the pasta yeah. still kept most of the benefits. And obviously,
2: what this means is that, you know, if you're cooking at home like a pasta dish that you you made maybe a nice fresh sauce or whatever, that might not actually, in some ways, be as good for you as, as something bought in the supermarket, a ready meal that has pasta in it, because there it's been cooked, cooled down, and you're reheating it. Yeah. So this might be a case where where something that has gone through more processes actually could be better for you
1: yeah and obviously you know if you cook from fresh at home you've got other benefits that are going into that but it's just interesting that you just you wouldn't assume that that something that's been cooked cooled down and then reheated would have beneficial properties than than cooking fresh and what's going to be quite interesting as we now start to move into the trends that we're starting to see is whether that's going to start be to be adopted are people going to use that to their advantage? Are they going to communicate that? Because if that's the case with pasta, what else is that the case with? Is it certain breads and pastries and bakery products? Uh, Anything else? Can that sort of same science be applied to drinks or other categories?
2: Exactly. I mean, I think this is really important because we've talked a lot about pro and prebiotics. But This is the case where, yes, it, it turns into a prebiotic, but it's just part and parcel of the process it's gone through. So, we're talking about discovery of how foods change through, through their sort of journey of of being made into something and before they're being consumed. And, and like you said, it's about communicating these, because this was obviously already happening. Hmm. But, you know, you, you, you knew about this. I didn't know about it. And yeah. we're people are in the industry. So it's, it's not well known is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Let's now move on to trends, the current trends that we're, we're, we're seeing. In, uh in, in in the gut health arena in in, in food and drink and um, what sort of innovations we've seen maybe yeah. uh, and also some of our views and experiences
1: we've um, we've seen over the last few years yeah the first one I have to mention is this shift from volume to variety across so many aspects so most people if they take a probiotic supplement they'll look for well how many billions of probiotic bacteria is it again what the research is showing now, is especially with probiotics, how many billions, whether it's 2 billion, 5 billion, 10 billion in a dose is often not as important as how many different strains of probiotic um, bacteria do you have. So the probiotics that I take um, have 11 different strains in them. And that is supposed to be far more beneficial having, you know, let's say 5 billion probiotic count per serving from 11 different strains than 20 or 30 or 50 from a singular strain, because, going back to what we were saying about our ancestors having just such a a more diverse microbiome than we do, it's that diversity that Mm. seems to be linked to to, to good health. So we know that it's important in terms of the the microbiome, the bacteria that live inside of our gut, but to, 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 to feed that and to encourage it, you've got to see that variety in the ingredients, in the products that we consume. So whilst uh, previously, you know, just putting in a single strain of of, of probiotics into into a product, or just making sure that you've got a source of fiber in there, I think you're starting to see brands now that are taking this research and implementing it by having a wider variety of ingredients. Um, It's not a brand that we've, Sort of worked on or had an attachment with but olipops in in the us um, they were sort of a really interesting innovation where they have um, outside of the ingredients that are there for you know just to sweeten the drink and um, and to flavor it they've got an additional eight different ingredients that are there to promote gut health um, ingredients such as cassava root, Jerusalem artichoke, slippery elm bark and so <laughs> and so this this variety. Um, supposedly, is going to be what sort of supports um, having a good variety in your in your microbiome.
2: Listen, these are, um, in this case, these will be prebiotics. Obviously, yes. these are fibres. So yeah. But different fibres will also help with that diversity because they're feeding the different microbes. Yeah,
1: so variety in the probiotics that you're taking and variety in the prebiotics that you're taking. Because something else that happens is that this variety, it declines with age as well. So as you get older, the um, variety of species that you have in your gut um, declines and it's very difficult to stop that from from happening. And so the longer that you can obviously support having a, you know, a good variety of, of, of bacteria in your gut, you know, your health is going to go on for longer.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it goes back to our whole thing around start as early as you can as babies, toddlers, feeding your kids right. Throughout your life, keep on going. If you need some help with With some probiotics, fine. Um, But we all can eat prebiotics. You don't have to have particular ones necessarily.
1: Yeah, it doesn't need to be a supplement either. No, no. It's just just that variety. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
2: Another thing um, I think is um, important in trends is not just, um, we'll go on to the actual foods, but we're seeing a lot of our suppliers come up with actual ingredients that can be added into food. So for instance, Kerry, a very well-known ingredient supplier, has
1: Ganodon, which is a probiotic. I think Mm. it's encapsulated. Yeah, it's it's a powder, but it's encapsulated because obviously these probiotic microbes... Yeah, they're living, and so they don't like going in an oven at 180 no. degrees or, or or being pasteurized or in a sort of um, high-acidity beverage typically. But the process that Kerry have... Um, and I think there are other companies that are catching up as well, but the one that we've used um, previously, the ganaden, it does have more resistance than just a regular probiotic supplement. So you're now starting to see products that otherwise wouldn't have been able to have the living probiotic bacteria in the product. You're starting to see that now in yeah. bakery products and confectionery and so on because they're starting to encapsulate it, as you say, and protect those um, probiotic bacteria through, living, yeah. through, through the sort of various processes of, of making a food or beverage product.
2: Another trend is fermented foods. We're seeing a lot of f- fermented foods across drinks and food. Um, some of these have been around for quite a while. Um, the obvious one to me, I don't know what you think, is Yakult, which, you know, th- this was yeah. one that I remember being advertised maybe 20 years ago, yeah. maybe longer, um, which is obviously a sort of yogurt based drink, but always talking about the amount of sort of microbes in there. But now we're seeing it across all categories. Kefir. Now I see you've bought me a bottle of kefir <laughs> very kindly. It's still <laughs> quite close to you, but I, I know it's for me. This is my kefir. Keep your hands off. All right. This is one that I mean. You've spoken about this brand before, um, and you you sort of of saw it and and thought this was going to be a trend, and and it's turned out to be so.
1: Yeah, well, it's been around for thousands of years. But what I like about Biotiful, um, Biotiful, yeah, sorry, Biotiful, is that just the marketing and the branding. They they sort of just made it a lot more sort of accessible and 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 less kind of health and started to dial up taste, and it tastes delicious. It's really nice. Um, And so this is if I'm sort of you know, about my day and want to have something on the go, I'll have one of these. Now, because it tastes so nice, you know, I don't know if it's the most effective kefir in the world that you can get because we've had other kefirs yeah. that I know I've subjected you to. that. And are, my dad. are quite different.
2: Yeah, so, <laughs> so we, we buy the same one at home. Uh, and like you say, it's really tasty. But one, one day after you've been researching probably all night <laughs> about what has the, the best range of, of um, probiotics, you came with this, this, this bottle called Chuckling Goat. The Chuckling Goat. Yeah, yeah. And, and not only, uh, you didn't even have to keep it in the fridge, nope. um, and they you know, said it'd last some months, and then uh, you, you gave me a bit, and
1: well, it, it's an interesting flavour. <laughs> I mean, the bottle, I think they come in one and a half, two litre bottles, and it almost feels like it's about ready to burst. It's so fizzy. It's an interesting um, sort of business as well, because I'll leave the listener to go and, and have a look into it if they want. But essentially, from what I remember, um, you know, a farm that had goats and they were looking for new revenue opportunities. And and so they started making kefir and it's all direct-to-consumer. Mm. So it's a really good example of the direct-to-consumer model because they were doing this quite a few years ago. But yeah, it's, it's essentially really fizzy. It's really sour.
2: Really goatey.
1: Really goatey as well. But you drink just like a shot of that and you think, wow, that, that has got some serious microbes going on. And I think it's, you know, in terms of talking about trends, a big part of it is trying to be on the right line of function and effectiveness versus taste. Because I will drink that chuckling goat kefir because I know all the benefit that it's given me, but the amount of people I've tried to give it to you and i like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. And so I think it's important to not... You know, you've got to be pragmatic about this if you're a, if you're a brand and you, you don't want to go too far. So that's going to be interesting to see how with sort of data and um, the science and awareness, if people's attitudes and um, openness to sort of having things that are maybe a bit more challenging, if that mm. changes or if people still always just revert back to what tastes best.
2: Yeah, we've seen it also This because, it's like you said, it's a shot and we've seen the shots of, of the juices. We, we had one earlier, ginger shot. Um, turmeric shots. So obviously these come from a sort of different sort of health benefit side, but people are used to having things which maybe aren't the tastiest things, but they know they're getting a real hit because of, of the flavour. So I think people are prepared to to maybe forego a bit of the taste if they think it's doing them really, uh, you know, real sort of solid work in there, as it were.
1: Yeah, another one is kombucha, which you've got a bit of experience
2: with. Yeah, so kombucha, I think, is a really interesting one. I've, I've even tried to make my own. Mm. Um, it was it was very acidic, the one I made. Mm. Um, but the one, the brand that I know uh, very well is LA Brewery. That is a um, it's very tasty kombucha. It's not too acidic, um, and, and they've got some really tasty flavors, really natural tasting. Um, it's a good actually talking about trends. It's a good uh, non-alcoholic sort of beverage yeah. because it has with the acid and the lower sweetness
1: they have it in lovely like champagne style yeah, yeah. bottles really well. nice yeah.
2: so so that they're, they're looking towards that trend as well but the great mm. thing about the um, you know, you've know, you got the, the natural probiotics in there now there are different ways you, you obviously can't pasteurise them you would normally in a drink so you have to put them through a very fine filter to ensure you're, you're leaving in the correct or well, the, the probiotics you want to but taking out anything that can f- ferment and the bottle blow so Mm. that it's having a a a challenge around the processing to ensure that you're keeping the good stuff in there
1: yeah we've had a number of people inquire about oh i'd like to start a kombucha brand or something with a fermented food product and you just have to sort of explain to them that it is going to mean you 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 probably need to create your own manufacturing facility yeah um it's quite difficult to find a third party to produce products like this because they're produced different weighed standard um, products. Another product that that I tasted quite recently, actually, was uh, the kimchi from Bottle Brush Ferments. I saw that they had the three-star Great Taste Award. Yeah. And whenever I see that, I sort of think, go on then, let's, 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 let's see if it lives up to that. And I have to say, it, it probably did. It was really tasty. The, I, I love the idea of kimchi because I like sauerkraut and, and and those types of things, but often I find them too garlicky oh. and, and yeah, just 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 a bit overpowering. But this one had a real variety of ingredients in there, really nicely balanced. Um, you obviously get that kind of uh, well, there's no other way of saying it, but farty <laughs> aroma from things like um, Cabbage, sauerkraut and brassicas, isn't it? Ex- exactly. Yeah. And, and this one didn't have hardly any any of that. And and I think it's another sort of evolution that we're seeing is. These sort of early adopters and brands that get in there first—it takes a bit of time to get this sort of the, the, the taste and the flavor perfected. Um, but that was that was that was definitely.
2: Yeah, I'm still to try um, it. I mean, I think mm. you said you'd bring some in for me to try, but haven't, haven't seen any yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. Might have eaten it all. We we, we can't talk about well fermented food without touching on your sourdough, ah,
2: Micah. I was, I was wondering when you were going to get round <laughs> to it because we,
1: ha- we have we have a we have a thing in the office that. Um, if you're if you were ever listening to a meeting or a call that you're on, if the sourdough is going to come up, because it, it has it has appeared in several meetings and calls over the years. It may,
2: it may have. I'm trying to remember, but I mean, I think the thing. I mean, the story around it is that when I when I moved uh, in into the suburbs from living in town, it was hard to find sort of good bread. You know, you're in you're in. I was lived in Islington. Used to go to St John Bakery pick up some lovely bread on a daily basis. And, and then I, I moved uh, out to the suburbs. And, and there weren't really those bakeries. I mean, I think it's changed even since then. So that was 12 years ago. And so after a few weeks, I was like, I've, I've got to have some good bread. So I, I made my own mother. And mother is the thing that is the natural ferment. The starter. Yeah, the starter. It's also called. Different ways of making it. You can make it with um, you know, grapes. You can make it with rhubarb currants, all these sorts of things. Anyway, I made that and started making my bread about 12 years ago, and I haven't stopped A, baking, or B, going on about it. But what is interesting <laughs> to me is that as I've got older, um, whereas I could just eat any old sort of wheat-based, uh, whether it's bread or pastry or whatever, I, I, you know, it doesn't agree with me so much, more indigestion-y sometimes I get. With my sourdough bread, proper sourdough bread that you I make yourself or you get from a really good baker don't have any of those problems because you get those changes because of that slow ferment you get changes within the product that help um sort of break down those sort of uh the gluten into into products
1: that your your gut can can cope with much better yeah is it like 24 36 hours from the fermentation
2: it, it varies yeah it depends how warm depends what it you've is we've got going on have yeah. got going on but yeah, I mean, typically I would probably do about a 36-hour yeah. turnaround.
1: And and the amount of people who will say they are gluten intolerant and you give them a good piece of sourdough and they're absolutely fine. Yeah. And I think that's, therefore, another trend that we're seeing is people looking at all sorts of products that can just be made more slowly, that sort of slow food movement in a way and just you know not in terms of just how it's eaten but also how it's prepared and and the benefits with that i'd be interested to see how many other products and categories that that starts to trickle through into
2: yeah we've covered quite a lot already in this episode and and as we're wrapping up i think let's just talk about what the future might hold with with gut health
1: yeah one of the most exciting things on the horizon is having tailor-made probiotic strains um, for you, for, for the individual. For me? Yeah, for you, for, for myself, for, for everyone. <laughs> um, the, the, the gut microbiome is so complex. We spoke at the start about how there's these different groups and families of microbes. They're really just starting to scratch the surface in terms of which ones are beneficial, how much of them you should have but certain individual microbes are starting to come to the fore as being very impactful. My favourite book on this um, topic is The Diet Myth by Professor Tim Spector, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone to go and, and, and read this book. And, and it's one of those great books that you don't have to read it from start to finish. You can sort of drop in and out of chapters if, if you want. But one of the really key takeaways for me was when they spoke about this microbe that's part of the Firmicutes family, Called Christensenella, and it's been sort of touted as the the lean microbe. There's a number of studies now and research that show a few individuals, less than ten percent of the population, who have a high amount of this microbe, tend to be the lucky buggers who can eat almost what they want and not put on a lot of weight. Hence, why it's called the the lean microbe, m- m- microbe or the anti obesity microbe. It's been called as well. Mm. Do
2: you know anyone who I you do. think might have this? I do.
1: My my lucky darling wife yeah. um, and her siblings. You know they they can basically yeah just just sort of eat you yeah, know eat healthy as well, but yeah. they don't think twice about sort of enjoying themselves. And you know they're, they're they're always sort of lean. Whereas I'm the exact opposite. I've just got to look at something and start to think about putting putting weight on. Do you think I have some of these? <laughs> I wouldn't like to comment. Okay, <laughs> um, but what's going to be exciting is seeing how they're now looking into, well, how do you get this microbe isolated and turned into a probiotic? And there's going to be others as well. And so I don't know, know, is it 10, 20, 30 years in the future, but you'll theoretically be able to have your microbiome tested and then a bespoke blend of probiotics sort of prescribed to you that, you know, not just for weight gain purposes, but to, to help issues with allergies or um, other sort of, you know, deadly diseases, whatever it might be. So I think that is on the horizon eventually. When it's going to happen, who mm-hmm. knows? But but quite quite exciting.
2: Something I've uh, been reading about, which I think is interesting, is, is not just about products like like you've just spoken, but about how how we eat. And one thing that has been in the news and and, and there've been books about it uh, is fasting. So there's mm-hmm. a there was a big thing around the five two diet. And then, and then variations of that. And we've both done a bit of fasting. You, still, I, you I, still do it, don't most,
1: you? Most days, intermittent fasting, this, the 16.8, 8 I, I yeah. hardly ever have breakfast now. I will at the weekend just because I enjoy it. But most weekdays, I won't eat until yeah. lunchtime, and then I'll not eat after 8 o'clock. So I have a, about a 16-hour fasting window. I love yeah.
2: it. And I fast every single day while I'm asleep. Exactly. That's so I'm regular <laughs> as clockwork. clockwork. Um, but... So, so people doing that a lot for their, their weight and so forth. But what's also interesting about fasting is that it can increase the diversity of gut microbes. So this yeah. is quite a new discovery. There's a major microbe, Achamansia, which loves people who fast because what it does, it snacks off our gut lining and cleans up all mm-hmm. the sort of bad microbes, the mm-hmm. things that the ones we don't want. But you've got to watch it like all these things. It can be the other side because if you fast for too long, they can start attacking.
1: Yeah, the gut lining. It, it makes me think of uh, leaky gut syndrome which I know some people suffer with and yeah. that can be very similar whereas if you don't feed the bacteria the good things, the fibre that it needs it can start to turn on your gut lining for sources. But I think I think why this is potentially important for, for brands is you are starting to see now products that are specifically to support fasting, whether it's um, to supposedly break a fast correctly, whether it's to prepare yourself for, for, for a fast. So I think it's quite quite a new trend, but it, it sort of links into like the keto diet and other trends as well. I think we're going to see more products that start to support um, fasting because it is the amount of evidence that's coming out in recent years to, to show the benefits of it is, you know, sort of unquestionable.
2: Yeah. So I think it's time to sum things up really. Mm. And, and it's, I think it's always good as we've done in previous episodes, to maybe give a couple of recommendations on, on things to, to read or something like that. Yeah. Um, The book that I would recommend, now we've talked about Tim Spector more than once in this episode, mm. but after he did The Diet Myth, he did one called Spoon Fed. Quite
1: recent. Yeah, it's 2020
2: it was mm-hmm. uh, published and its its subheading is why almost everything we've been told about food is wrong. Yeah. So that just makes me suddenly think I want to read that, what what, what is <laughs> Now it includes... Um, a lot of the things in the diet myth, but it updates them because mm. I think the diet myth was 2016. Um, and things have moved along so rapidly. Yeah. I would again, anyone who's interested in this, go and buy it, read it. It's a really good read.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got another one to throw out there, and it, it's more it's more a, sort of an interesting one. Um it's called This Is Your Brain on Parasites, How Tiny Creatures Manipulate Our Behavior and Shape Society. So it's by Kathleen McCullough. Apologies, Kathleen, if I if I got your surname incorrect there. Um, and it it starts off with basically suggesting that um, the microbes that live within us can, they can be more responsible for things like our mood than we think. And so there is this question around throughout history and the the kind of mad dictators or people that have really shaped history was it them? Was it their microbiome? Mm. And, and reading the book, it's it, it really makes you think. So it's just, just that. to Another one to suggest Yeah, it's there. one for me to read. I haven't done that yet. Yeah. But summing up the, the episode, I suppose variety, I think, is the first thing I would say. Key of life. Yes, <laughs> in terms of your ingredients, your probiotics, your prebiotics, um, how your food's sort of prepared and, and trying to cut down or minimise processed foods. I mean, this isn't exactly sort of new news to anyone. And um, I think you've got a, a quote well, on that for us to finish on.
2: Yeah. Um, Michael Pollan the author of books and and other articles, he sums it up in one very short sentence, which is, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Nice.
1: Thanks, Micah. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. And for more information, please visit tastehead.com. We hope you join us for our next episode.